All right. All right, everybody, take your seats. Today we're talking about how awesome it is to fail, believe it or not. It's the Change Academy podcast. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. You know, as nutrition, fitness, and general health coaches, people have come to Monica and I wanting direct answers or prescriptions or detailed meal and exercise plans, which will tell them exactly what they need to do in order to reach their goals. Well, in this podcast, we're doing something different because this podcast is for people who know that that doesn't work in the long term anyway. So this podcast is for people who want to, as I like to say, learn how to fish, not just be handed a plate full of fish sticks. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, of course. And now I'm I'm Brock Armstrong and I'm here with Monica Reinigel. Hi. And you may know us from our Way Less program, which is a program where we coach people on sustainable weight loss, or you may know us from our other podcasts, the Get Fit Guy and the Nutrition Diva. But regardless of where you know us from, you're here now, and all I ask you is to be open, ready, and willing for change as we launch into today's episode. Yeah, let's get it going. Right. So the last time we were together, we were talking about how in order to create change that really sticks, it takes a certain amount of practice. We have to practice the actions that we take. We have to practice the thoughts that we think. And there's one other thing that we need to practice until we get really good at it. And that is failing, Man. but it's not as bad as it sounds. And that's what we want to talk about in this episode. We're going to talk about failure and how we can make friends with it and actually use it to propel us towards the change that we're trying to create. So I can't wait to get into this topic, but before wait, we do, isn't there a, a Simpsons episode where they dance around going, you can't make friends with failure. You can't, oh wait, no, that's <laughs> salad. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if it were true, I would beg to differ, but not that all great philosophy doesn't stem from the Simpsons. But yes. <laughs> before we dig into today's topic, we want to just take a minute, as we usually do at the beginning of our podcast episodes, to share what we're working on in our own lives, because of course we are ourselves still works in progress. So what you've been working on lately, Brock? Well, you know, you may have heard us mention a few times that we are both focused on our sleep. On uh, <laughs> some might say obsessed with maybe <laughs> maybe obsessed, but it's a it's a worthy thing to be obsessed with, and uh, and what I'm going to share with you today again has to do with my sleep because it's because I live in the north, and it is the middle coming up on the middle of June. The sun's coming up very early, which means the birds also come up very early, and it's that time of year where we're sleeping with the windows open. And there's a lot of cacophony right outside of my window. So I've been waking up at like 4.15, 4.30, but I've been trying to handle it in a different way than just getting frustrated and shutting the window and laying there tossing and turning. Instead, I've been getting up, using the washroom just to get that out of the way so I'm not thinking about how full my bladder is, <laughs> and going <laughs> back to bed and practicing um, that 4, 7, 8 breathing technique that um, that I learned actually years ago from a guy named uh, Dr. Andrew Weil. I use my heartbeat as my metronome. So four heartbeats in, hold for seven heartbeats, exhale for eight heartbeats, and just keep doing that. But the key is to commit to continue to do that until you fall back asleep. You can't just be like, well, 
I'm going to do it three times and that's it, or I'm going to do it 10 times or, or whatever. The key for me anyway has been to be like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this until I fall back asleep because I do not need to be awake at this time. And I, <laughs> I've got hours before I actually need to be awake. So that's been working really well for me. I actually slept until eight one morning, eight fifteen another morning. It was that's uh, unheard of for yeah, you. Yeah, it was quite remarkable. So <laughs> that's what I'm working on is just being patient with myself and the birds because it's not their fault. They're just doing their thing. Right. <laughs> so how about you? What are you working on? You know, my thing that I'm working on right now has nothing to do with sleep. Hey. So Brock, you've known me for a long time. We've been working together for a while. So, um, so you already know this about me, but one of my maybe character flaws is that <gasps> bites your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know this about myself. I can be a little bit of a know-it-all. And, you know, that's not a very attractive quality in anyone, but it is true. I do know a lot of things and uh, mostly that's because I love to learn new things. I'm really mm, curious. Yeah. And when I stumble across something that I don't know, or I don't understand, I have a compulsion to find out. So I do know a few things. And it's also true that I like to share what I know, <laughs> which is why I've arranged for that to be my profession to share what I know in podcasts and in um, speaking engagements and, you know, all the, all the ways in which I share what I know. So, but that said, what I am working on remembering, reminding myself this week is, is just the simple fact that what we don't know is so much more than what we do know. And even more importantly, at any given moment, some percentage of the things that we know to be true are actually wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if we're lucky, we'll find out about them in the future. But just, I guess that all boils down to humility, really. And just remembering that, um, although I love to know and tell, um, there's a lot I don't know. And some of the things I think I know are actually wrong. And it's just good to keep that in mind. You know, what comes to mind when you say that is this, I think at, at this point in history, in particular, because of the, the COVID virus, pandemic that's going on right now and it being such a brand new virus that nobody's encountered before there have been these moments where the health organizations the people who really know what they're doing and really know what they're talking about have changed their stance on things yes and have been accused of being like hypocritical or or been accused of of not knowing what they're talking about or they're not being the authorities they claim to be when in fact they're actually practicing good science in realizing that they didn't know what they know now and being able to change their opinion as they go forward. So I'm just thinking I, what you're describing is kind of akin to that, that you know what you know, and you're happy to share what you know, but at a certain point, you may realize that that wasn't correct or, or that has been updated or something, and then be having the humility, like you said, to be able to admit that and, and move forward, change the way that you're teaching that or that you're preaching that. I think that really shows a, a, a very mature way of looking at things. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But it's also something that I have to just kind of continually remind myself to leave room in, uh, in my mental space for the things that I am currently getting wrong <laughs> and being ready to set the record straight when that opportunity comes. But it's kind of a good tee up for today's discussion on failure. It Maybe. is. Sometimes yeah. we fail to get well all done. of our facts, right? Yeah. But as we kick off this discussion, maybe it would be useful just to define a little bit for people listening, 
how we're using that word. What What are we referring to when we talk about the word failure? So when I say failure, I'm thinking of things like not reaching a specific goal that I've set mm. or maybe at least not reaching it in the intended time frame, mm. you know, by the deadline that I had set for myself. Or another kind of failure might be I, I execute my plan perfectly or as close to perfectly as I can manage, but it, it still doesn't produce the, the result that I expected it to produce. Mm-hmm. Or maybe discovering that the plan that I made wasn't actually something that I could execute, yeah. at least not right now. Yeah. Or one other example that I can think of is maybe um, executing the plan, getting the expected result, and then discovering that that result is not what I want after all. So, <laughs> so those are all examples of the kinds of failures we're talking about. Yeah, actually, that, that last one makes me laugh because I think that is something that happens at least more often to me than than the other failures that you described mm-hmm. is I'll like get this idea in my head that this is what I want to do I'll put the plan in place and then I'll get there and be like huh huh well now what <laughs> that's <laughs> that not that good from here <laughs> yeah it didn't really change anything or <laughs> I still don't have a million dollars or I still don't have whatever it is so it's uh it really is an an interesting sort of mental gymnastics that needs to happen at that point to to not necessarily see that as a negative. I think that's what we're going to get into here. Well, I think it's natural to feel maybe a little disappointment, mm-hmm. you know, if things didn't work out the way you wanted them to, or, or you weren't able to do what you had hoped to do. But I think our aversion to failure goes much deeper than just feeling disappointed. Why do you think that we find failure so painful? Why do some of us work so hard to avoid failure at all costs? Any thoughts? I think a lot of it comes down to our programming that mm, we've mm-hmm. been we've been told that like failing on an exam is I mean in school that's the last thing we ever want to do is is fail on an exam because then we may be held back a year or our our grades are going to be poor our report card is going to reflect that and our parents won't be as happy with us losing a game when we're children the goal is to to want to win that game and when we when we don't we see that as like we weren't good enough or we weren't smart enough or failing to get fit may mean that we feel like we're undesirable or we're not as attractive as we want to be or failing in our business we take that on as meaning that we just don't have what it takes or we're not the business people we thought we were or failing at even creating art means that we're not creative Mm. enough to to make it happen and there's we have been programmed in a certain way to believe that this is these are all negatives well, yeah, I think that that's right. It does probably stem from school school experiences early on. But because of that conditioning, I think we think of failure as something that should not happen. Mm-hmm. And that if it does happen, that means that something has gone wrong with us or with our lives or something. But I think as adults uh, who are committed to to change and learning and growth, we have to we have to flip the script on this. And we have to see that failure is not the opposite of success. It's actually the path to success. Or maybe another way to think of this is that success is not the absence of failure. 
Yeah, I think there's actually been uh, recently, I think we've actually started to really embrace this. And there's, there have been people who have come forward like Oprah Winfrey, the the Dyson fellow, the guy who invented the mm-hmm. those vacuum cleaners. Like, I think his story is quite well known. Of, like he had 10,000 prototypes or something. Maybe it wasn't 10,000, <laughs> right. but it was a ridiculously high amount of prototypes before he landed on the actual engine or the motor that works now in all of the devices. So I think there is a bit of a, a turning point, but I love what you said. And I actually, I have written down here a quote from Marcus Aurelius. For Ooh, some reason, fancy, in, my, uh, in my research for, for today's episode, I went down a deep rabbit hole with the Stoics because the, the, the Stoics or Stoicism philosophy, they focus a lot on on this idea of failure and the preparation for it. And And the quote that I was that I saw from Marcus Aurelius is the wise person is aware of all possibilities and prepared for all of them. In this way, there is no such thing as failure, simply outcomes. Mm, Love that. And I think that ties in really well with what you were just saying in terms of without failure, we're not moving forward in some ways because it really is just a way of categorizing the outcome rather than displacing it or what did you say it's not the opposite of success well and i've also heard it expressed that you know i'm either succeeding or i'm learning mm-hmm. you know and um, so so a lot of this has to do with kind of making friends with this concept of failure because if we carry that childhood fear of failure or aversion to failure into our adulthoods there's actually quite a cost that we pay if our primary objective is to avoid failing. Yeah. Yeah. I think making decisions is one of the things that, that I was thinking of too. We're, if we're so afraid of failure, we're afraid to make a decision and to make a choice, whether it's buying a bed or whether it's starting a new (laughs) business or whether it's anything like just deciding on something major, I guess, like some minor things we don't have trouble. But if you're so focused on not failing, that making a decision to actually follow through on something becomes really, really difficult. And I actually, I'm man, I'm going to quote everybody today, but I found there's a, a great quote from Amy Porterfield, mm-hmm. who's a, a business coach, and she was talking about um, the fact that decisions aren't either good or bad, and instead we should look at a decision as what if it leads you to a desired result, then you keep going. But if it doesn't, then you just change your path and make a new decision, which is exactly what we're talking about in terms of failure. Right. But we can't let the fear of making the wrong decision keep us kind of frozen because then we're not moving forward. And, you know, when you're moving forward, you you do end up starting to slip back. So so if if failure is truly the, the path to success and the only way that we can succeed, then obviously we need to get better at failing. We need to, uh, we need to learn how to fail better and smarter. So how how can we, how can we get better at failing? Well, there's an idea that I talk about a lot. And I think I've mentioned a few times in, in previous episodes of cognitive flexibility and what that really means in cognitive behavior therapy and, and theory is that we need to develop the ability to look at outcomes or actions or behaviors or our beliefs or our emotions from different angles, be able to feel them and then go, wait a second, is this valid? Is this 
is this important? Is this the right way to be viewing this? Or is there, can I turn it upside down? Can I, can I spin it around? I'm making spinning motions with my hands while I'm <laughs> describing this, that if I can turn this idea around and look at it from a different angle, is there something else that I could get from this rather than defeat or sadness or depression or whatever you're feeling because of this perceived failure? So, so I think that's uh, cognitive flexibility is really one of the one of the superpowers to overcoming that feeling of failure and turning it into something else. Yeah, I think you said uh, instead of thinking, "Is this the right way to see this or think about this?" We could even just say, "Whether this is right or wrong, is there another way to see it?" Yeah. Are there any other possible interpretations? But so, for example. In my list of examples of things that might be considered failure, I said, okay, maybe a failure is that I didn't reach my goal, but a way that I could have a little bit more cognitive flexibility about that is to add, okay, I didn't reach my goal in the time I thought it would take me to reach it, Mm -hmm. or I didn't reach my goal on my first try. And it gives me just a slightly different way of evaluating that experience than just the, well, I blew it. I failed. And walking away from it. Yeah, the, the really the worst failure that ever happens to you gives you I mean in in sort of the most sunny um it's called silver lining sort of way even the worst thing that happens to you is a chance to become familiar with failure if nothing else. Right. It is preparing you in in uh, in a very uh, a very acute way perhaps. Yeah, build up your failure muscles. Yeah, which is actually another one of the things that the Stoics focused on. Uh, Again, Marcus Aurelius said, the (laughs) impediment to action advances action. I don't even understand that. (laughs) So the impediment to action advances the action. You're going to have to explain that to me. What stands in the way, (laughs) it it continues, what stands in the way becomes the way. Oh, so we use our barriers as levers, basically, to to, to move. Wow, heavy. Those Stoics, they were... They were brainy. So the idea was that if they spent some time doing um, doing what can be called negative visualization, and I think we got into this when we were talking about uh, about this in another episode, but the idea of preparing for failure. Yeah, in our plan, in our plan mm-hmm. episode, we talked about planning for failure. And uh, so, yeah, the Stoics spent some time doing the negative visualization. And when they did this, it was first to eliminate that unpleasantness of the surprise of failure, but they also did it so they could just go into the situation with their eyes wide open that failure was possible. And I think that's what it, what it really comes down to. The impediment to action advances the action if you're prepared for the fact that things may not go the way that you planned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's another key here to getting better at failure, and that is we need to learn to be curious and investigative when a failure does happen. So, mm. okay, we, we didn't meet our goal or we missed our deadline or the plan didn't work or the plan worked but didn't produce the result, whatever it was. That's the time that we want to, it's one of the many times that we want to use our curiosity. We talked about that in episode three mm-hmm. and start looking at like, okay, what happened here? was where did the failure occur? Was it in the goal that I set? Was it in the the planning or the steps that I took? Was 
it a failure of my kind of environmental support systems? Like where did things go wrong? Because obviously that can really inform what happens next. Yeah, the curiosity, that's a a really great point. I think both of us have mentioned a number of times in our coaching that we need to look at factors like a scientist would look at the factors that are involved in, in the steps towards whatever hypothesis or whatever goal you're trying to reach. And then whether or not you succeeded, you need to look at it not from a, a standpoint of judgment, but from a standpoint of analysis. Mm-hmm. Well, I've heard you say this before, Brock, and I couldn't agree more that when a scientist runs an experiment, there are lots of different ways that that experiment could go. Some results might be positive, some might be negative, but all of them are valuable data points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But I think finally, the, the, the last piece of this, as we try to apply our curiosity and, you know, be scientists, put on our little scientist jackets and glasses is that, you know, we do want to be willing to try again after a failure. We have to develop that capacity to kind of pick ourselves up, figure out what happened, learn what we can learn, and then make another attempt. So that resilience, you know, I think there's a, a Japanese uh, aphorism about fall down nine times, get up 10 yeah, um, yeah. But I do want to emphasize that we don't want to just keep trying the same thing over and over and over again, exactly the same way. That then becomes the classic definition of insanity, where <laughs> we do the same thing over and over and expect different results. And, you know, we see this a lot in the, the weight loss world. You know, people will join Weight Watchers and lose some weight and then they'll gain it back. And so what will they do? Well, they'll rejoin Weight Watchers and they'll lose yeah. it again. And, you know, and they'll go through that cycle four five, six times. And, and they're just kind of repeating the same failed experiment over and over and over again. So we want to be willing to try again, but you want to try again in a slightly different way. And that's the whole point of being curious because that's, what's going to inform your next attempt. What little adjustments will you make in your next attempt based on what you learned from the last one? Yeah. I recently did a a get fit guy episode where I talked about a marathon that I trained for back in 2011, where I wanted to qualify for the Boston marathon, which is quite an endeavor. And I spent a lot of time training and I was focused and everything seemed to be on track really, really well. And on race day, everything just went to hell. (laughs) It all fell apart. And, uh, and after I finished the race, I took a couple of days to sort of put some band-aids on and then let myself emotionally heal from it. But then dove into my training logs, looked at what was going on, thought about the the things that had happened in the days leading up to the marathon, came up with a hypothesis based on the data that I collected from that failure, and three weeks later raced a, another race and knocked 20 minutes off my time. Wow. But it was, it was based on, I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not actually collected the data from that failure that I that I had just encountered because my fitness was there everything was in place it was kind of like what we were talking about earlier where you your plan is executed to perfection but the goal still wasn't reached mm-hmm. so the plan wasn't the problem there were just a few factors that got in the way and I think that is that that was one of the most um, valuable lessons I think I ever learned in my life in terms of not taking defeat as a, as a sign that I'm not strong enough or I'm not smart enough or I'm not whatever enough, but instead focusing on 
the the variables that I could control and immediately trying again with those variables tweaked. Well, and of course, having formed that hypothesis and and made a, another attempt, you might have proved that hypothesis wrong. Mm-hmm. But as it was the happier ending to this story, you proved your hypothesis right on the very next try, but it might have taken two, three, four, five more marathons before you finally put together the successful combination of factors plus the luck that goes into it um, to achieve your desired result. And you have to be willing to just keep trying. But yeah, we want to fail smart. And when we try again, we don't want to necessarily just try harder. We want to try smarter. Smarter. Yeah. Well, and uh, a big caveat here, I had been racing for about 10 years at that point. So there were many, many previous attempts. I'm like the Dyson guy. I had done my my <laughs> ten thousand prototypes before that. Right. It wasn't like your second marathon was the yeah. one where you where you took home the ribbon. But should I summarize some takeaways? Yeah, I think so. Here's what I take away from our conversation today. Number one, we want to embrace failure and not hide from it or run from it. I just ran across a quote this week from Brooke Castillo that I loved. She said, failure is currency. So, you know, we want to acquire as much as possible. Failure is currency. Success is what you buy with it. Mm. I love that. Mm. And another takeaway is we don't want to let our fear of failure stop us from making a decision because we're afraid we might make the wrong decision. Just make a decision, move forward, and then you'll find out. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we want to make sure that we gather the data from our failures, because that's really going to be the best way to determine our next move. But I did want to close before we get into our lab experiment with um, with something that I just posted actually this week in the member form for our Way Less program, because I feel like it's right on topic for what we're talking about today. I wrote, few of us will travel a straight path to success. There will be false starts, unplanned detours, stalled engines, dead ends. But the answer is not to start over, only this time do it right, because those false starts and dead ends are all part of the learning. We don't achieve success when we put sufficient distance between ourselves and our failures, we achieve success when we learn to bring our failures close and examine them with clear-eyed compassion, learn what we can from them, and then use them as fuel for future growth. Nice. Doesn't that make you feel a little bit different about failure? (laughs) It does. It does. And it really, I, I think that goes hand in hand with the idea of just if you're expecting it and you're not um, derailed by it, you can you can have that presence of mind and have that philosophy yeah. moving into Oh, into good. That. Another failure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, I like to think about, like in terms of you said you don't move in a straight line. If you watch a, a child when they're learning how to walk, like they don't go from laying there on their back to crawling to standing to walking in a linear progression. There are all kinds of wipeouts and frustrations and they may teeter for a while and then give up and go back to crawling again for Mm -hmm. a while. And, you know, the stock market behaves the same way. All of our progression towards our goals to behaves the same way as that. It's always, it's never a straight line. Right. Right. So, okay, let's get into our lab experiment for this week is... This is such a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that we've somehow convinced ourselves anyway, and hopefully the people listening that <laughs> failure is actually really fun. So, okay. So the next time that something goes not 
completely to plan for you. We want you to take a moment and practice that cognitive flexibility that that we were talking about. So I, I like to think of it as almost like picking it up, like physically picking up your problem and spinning it around, looking at it from different angles and consider how you could view this this moment as a growth moment rather than a setback. Like, can you turn it around and look at it in different ways to see the data rather than just feel the emotion of, of disappointment? Then, of course, put on your, your lab coat and maybe your pocket protector and your glasses or, or just metaphorically do that and sit down and, and write down the events that led to that failure and then list the things that you could try differently next time. So I think those are the the sort of biggest action moments there is to actually list the things you did and then make a list of things you could do differently next time. So you're not just going to, like Monica said, repeat something over and over again in the definition of insanity and hope for a different outcome. You're actually going to make a different plan. How does that sound? That sounds great. And I just want to say that we've been, we're starting to hear from some of you with the results of your lab experiments. And that is so fun. And if you haven't yet uh, connected with us, we want to invite you to join the Change Academy. You can do that a couple of different ways so that we can hear what's going on and we can make this sort of a two-way conversation. So one thing you can do is just subscribe to the podcast, wherever you're listening right now, just go ahead and click the little plus sign or whatever it takes to add that to your regular feed so that you see the new episodes when they come out. Another way to, to join us is to sign up for updates. And you can do that by going to our website. It's changeacademypodcast.com and put yourself on our mailing list. We use it extremely sparingly. <laughs> we, <laughs> all we do is let you know when there's a new episode or maybe a special event that we're hosting that you might want to take part in. So don't be afraid to put your name on that list. Or if you are somebody who likes to interact on social media, you can come find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we're on all of those platforms. And our handle is changeacpod. Same on all three. So come find us. And then once we've connected, tell us what you're working on and how we can help you take the next step towards success or failure, which might be just as yeah. good. Yes, it, it is. We know it is. <laughs> And speaking of special events and stuff, we actually do have a couple of special events coming up near the end of the month, and uh, I won't spoil anything too much, but there's some workshops and webinars coming up. So if you're on our mailing list, you will definitely hear about those. Okay, get out there and fail. We'll see you next time here on the Change Academy. All right, thank you, everybody. Don't forget to embrace all that failure. See you next time. <laughs>